Before I get started, I would like to issue this disclaimer. I am not a mental health professional. I am an individual who is passionate about mental health and topics related to mental health. Research has been done on these topics and I am sharing my own personal experience. All conversation and information exchange are intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Any information shared should not be used as medical advice or to self-diagnose. If you believe you are experiencing an emergency, please talk to your primary physician or call 911. Welcome back to another episode of Mind If We Chat. I'm your host, Sarah. If you're a new listener, thank you for tuning in and supporting the podcast. If you're a continued listener, thank you for the support. I enjoy having you here with me. Um, so again, this month, the month of November, we're focusing on our veterans. And so this branch on this episode will be Marines. And I have the pleasure of knowing a few Marines um, within my husband's family. And, um, you know, so... I, I thought of one guy that I just thought would be great for the episode. So today with me, I have Alex Avery. Hello, Alex. Hey, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. It's good. I know you're a busy, busy man these days, huh? Yeah, I know. It's kind of <laughs> hard getting a hold of me. I work a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, So you have your own business, correct? Yeah, I'm a general contractor. Started my business recently this year. Uh, but everything's going uh, pretty good so far. Congratulations. Um, what's, what's the name of your business? Promote yourself here. Oh, handyman near me. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, we'll definitely. I'm the handyman near you. <laughs> All right. How can we get a hold of you? I don't um... want to save this for the end. We'll do it at the end again, but we definitely want to promote this. Well, you can find me at uh, chicagohandyman.com or on Facebook, the handyman near me. Um, or... Uh, well we'll definitely look for you i uh i'll be contacting you soon here because i got some projects to do (laughs) but uh so alex tell us for those of you who are listening you don't really know alex we want to know about you tell us about yourself yeah i'm just a regular guy grew up on the southeast side of chicago lived here pretty much my whole life before i joined the marine corps um after i joined the marine corps moved right back home i've been here you know, ever since I got out in 2014, um, it's been home for me. Like, I, I can't really see myself leaving because I have so much family here. A yeah. lot of people thought I was crazy coming back to South Side of Chicago after living, you know, in California for six years in SoCal. But, you know, I think home is really where, where your family is. So yeah, maybe if everybody else moved to California, I'd stay there. But Yeah. And you yeah. have a very large family. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Yeah, so um, you went to Washington, right? So you're an alum. Yeah. Well, now it's with the Patriots, but it was the Minutemen back in the day. Yep. So I still consider myself a Minuteman. <laughs> and um, so you grew up here in the East Side, and you have how many siblings? Well, I consider myself only having two siblings, um, but my father kind of uh, was really in my life. And I have three other siblings from him, but I really don't know him too well. Okay. So when everybody asks me like how many siblings I have, I usually only say like oh, I have a brother and a sister. Um, but yeah, I technically have five, but okay. In my heart, okay. you know. I get you. I get yeah. you. <laughs> so what was your rank in the Marines? I was a sergeant. 
Okay. Oh my God, I was a sergeant. I know you look so scary. You got that sergeant <laughs> face. No. <laughs> No, he's very nice. I, I trust me, guys. He's very nice. So, Alex, what inspired you to join the military, and let alone the Marines? Like, kind of tell us your story about that. Well, honestly, the whole idea of being a, a warrior always intrigued me since I was a little kid. You know, watching, you know, kung fu movies, right? Bruce Lee and watching Arnold Schwarzenegger and, you know, Sylvester Stallone. You know, always that that whole warrior spirit of, you know, try to the very end and you know try to conquer your fears and that type of thing always appealed to me um but actually like during my teenage years i was kind of like against the man right f the man you know <laughs> f the police <laughs> the government's just trying to control you you know it's kind of that thing went through high school and uh shortly after high school i actually got a call from a marine corps recruiter um and he was like, asking me hey you ever consider joining the military and i was like yeah kind of you know, and Marine Corps recruiters are really good at what they do. So he was like, hey, I'll pick you up, you know, I'll tell you what we're all about and stuff like that. And um, and it was good timing because a real good friend of mine, Sandra, uh, it was like a year after high school, I was still working like at the Brooks Honda as a porter. And she's asking me, so what are you going to do? Are you going to go to school? Like, you know, what are you going to do? And a couple of my buddies are planning on, you know, signing up for UTI together. And she kind of like really got mad at me when I mentioned that to her. She's like, you can't wait for your friends, you know, see what they're going to do so you can plan the rest of your life. You know, she got really upset with me. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of like hit me like, man, she's right. Like, I got to get my stuff together, think about what I'm going to do, you know? Yeah. And I know I didn't want to just regular nine to five. I didn't want to just get a job doing something that. Oh, sorry, let me turn No, it's okay. Off. He's a busy man. <laughs> Guys, that's his business. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't want a regular job, nine to five you know, doing regular stuff. I, I know I'm really good with my hands. Mm-hmm. I've been my whole life as a mechanic, you know, and now I'm a general contractor. Um, it's, it just comes natural to me. But I, I didn't want to just work on cars or trucks or just houses or anything like that when I was younger. I wanted, like, an adventure. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when recruiter was talking to me, he's like, hey, you know, you could work on helicopters and fly them you know, and crew women and men, the guns. I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. Um, after he pitched the job to me, I was, it was easy. It was like a no brainer, you know, especially with the education and, you know, being able to do something that most people never get to do. I thought it was just really appealing to me. Yeah. So tell, tell us about the day that you enlisted, you signed your papers, like tell us the feelings and emotions you felt about that. Well, I remember that day when he called me and said he was coming to pick me up and take me. Uh, I haven't spoke to my mom about it yet, but I remember like getting off the phone with the recruiter and you know yelling, "Hey, mom, I'll be back. I'm gonna go join the Marine Corps." And she's like, "What? <laughs> what do you mean? Wait, stop!" You know, I'm like walking out the door. He's, he's outside waiting for me, and went there and, and did that and did all the paperwork and everything. Um, I guess that's the day I signed up. The day I left, um, <laughs> I have all my friends and family were actually at my house. My close friends and my close relatives were at my house and saying goodbye to me. And I remember driving down the street, he went the wrong way. So we had to turn back around and go back down our street. Mm-hmm. And I mooned everybody, pulled my pants <laughs> down, stuck my butt out the window. And said, that's why I said bye to everybody. But I remember, I remember feeling a little bit of nervous, a little nervous, you know, not knowing, knowing what to expect. But at the same time, knowing that 
whatever led ahead of me I could handle. Um, I tend not to worry too much. Okay. You know, and I'm pretty good at calming myself down and talking myself out of like being so anxious. But I knew like it might be hard, it might be difficult, but probably wasn't anything I couldn't handle. Okay. So I wasn't too nervous about it. It was just probably more excitement than anything. Okay. Have you always been kind of like that? Kind of like one to cope and calm yourself down, kind of self-regulate? I would say, yeah. Um, I could get pretty hot-headed. Uh, I don't like to lose control because if I let myself get too angry or do something, I kind of feel like I'll say or do something that I'll regret. Okay. So it's always better for me to pump the brakes early on and check myself okay you know do I need to leave do I need to stop do I need to say something now you know always trying to do that because people do stupid stuff when they're angry yes and I've done some stupid really stupid stuff when I was upset and then after you're done you're like man I shouldn't have said that I shouldn't have did that you know and I, I could get pretty hard on myself so definitely giving myself a gut check and checking myself like hey man you need to calm down or change your thoughts or or something like that. It's really, uh, really helps me, you know, get a, a good perspective on things that way, you know, kind of, don't, I don't get out of hand in my head, you know? Yeah. And that's good self-awareness, right? I feel like that's really good self-awareness to be able to say, Hey, I got to get out of this situation. I know it's not good. I, and I've learned from previous, you know, experiences that I need to walk away. And, um, even just like having that control, right? Because, when you think about it, we get when we get emotional like that, we're in our limbic brain. And it takes us away from that part of our brain that's can rationalize that like prefrontal cortex, right? So you're like in your limbic brain and it's like that shuts off. That front part of your brain is like, nope, we're not doing this right now. But so that's good to have that self-awareness. So thank you for bringing that up, Alex. I appreciate that. <laughs> so then um, talk about boot camp, because I wonder how intense, like, I know Army, Rebel shared his experience about his boot camp and how intense <laughs> that was. So, and wait, um, back up just a little bit. What year did you leave to go to uh, the Marines? That was in 2007. Oh, okay. So we, here we are in a war still, right? So we're yeah. going to talk, we're going to talk a little more, more about that. But um, so tell us about boot camp, that experience. Well, it was one of my favorite experiences in, uh, in the Marine Corps. You know, a lot of guys talk about, uh, you know, how much it sucked and they never want to go back. But I thought it was great. I thought it was fun. And it was funny. Um, Marine Corps recruiters, uh, they're very serious. I mean, uh, general instructors are very serious. And, you know, they get on your butt and they, like, they scream and holler and everything like that. And a lot of people get nervous around it. But to me, inside my head, I was laughing the whole whole time because the way they yell at other recruits and the things they say is pretty funny, but you just can't laugh, right? Cause it's going to get worse, you know, they'll, they'll bring on the pain. But if you learn how to control your the face, <laughs> your facial expressions and, and hold your laughter, it's a pretty good time. And, you know, I was pretty in good shape when I left. So the physical aspect wasn't that challenging. I could see other people saying, like, oh, it really sucks. You know, they, you know, they're, they're just going to really kick your butt, but yeah, I was I was in pretty good shape. I wrestled all through high school and I prepared myself pretty good. So it was uh it was more just learning what it was to be a Marine. Mm -hmm. Um less than a physical challenge challenge for me. Yeah. So what about those times when you wanted to laugh? Like what did you really like? Did you have to tap in anything mentally? Because I'm pretty sure that's <laughs> hard, right? Like I know for me, when I see something I want to laugh, I laugh. Like <laughs> well, you look around, you see a lot of grins on guys' faces and laughing. You know, they're they're you know. 
you try not to get spotted while you know you're doing a little chuckle, but sometimes you get pretty good at holding your bearing. You know, you could only do you know run so many times up a hill and you know do so many push-ups and they'll you know it's not going to be fun forever. So yeah, if somebody looks at you and it's like. You know, you, you don't want to stop smiling and shut up because, you know, the pain will start coming. So it's pretty easy to do when you know you're going to you're gonna get it. Anybody ever get caught? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what what was the consequence of that? It was, uh, it was actually, I remember, I forget this, the recruit's name at the time. He was an older guy in his 30s. He was, he was pretty old. Everybody's there is young, right? Teenagers, maybe 21, 22. And he stood out like a sore thumb because this guy was like, 30 years old almost mm-hmm. um and he said he was he, he could tell he was really smart you know he had a really charisma and he was sometimes he was a little bit older some of the, the drill instructors were there and he had a really hard time keeping a straight face and he always he was always respectful and, and always answered the way he was supposed to but he was a smart guy and he he could make he could crack some jokes and he had the drill instructors uh <laughs> they they could barely keep a straight face. They'd have to turn away or you know put their head down so their hat could cover their face, and you know they're trying to you know tear him a, a new asshole so to speak. And it's hard because his answers are pretty funny. His replies. Um, so sometimes if you're really good at you know responding and you're cracking a joke, um, sometimes the drill instructor will just kind of shrug and smile and turn away. You know, because they got to keep in their character too. And the yeah. best times, the best thing they could do is, is you know, turn away or, <laughs> you know, show, show that they, they actually got to hold their bearing as well. Yeah. We're all human, you know. And yeah. People, uh, when you first get to boot camp, you kind of look at drill instructors as being these machines, right? Like, oh, you think they're like these machines uh, that were forged in war, you know, made of steel. And then after a month or two, you you just start to realize that these are just regular guys, you know. Yeah. They have families, and you know they get tired and everything like that. And you get to learn a little bit about them and their MOSs and stuff like that, and you're like, this guy's not a hard charger. He's an admin clerk, you know. So it's it's kind of fun. Yeah. So how long was your basic training for? Uh, Marine Corps boot camp is three months, and then uh, you go to a combat training. I believe it's like another like month or so or like three weeks. Okay. So And you said this was your funnest experience, right? Yeah, this is like this it was pretty fun. Um any homesickness? Any missing home, missing family? So you do have a very, very large family. You guys are very tight knit. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I remember missing my family and my friends, but I don't have to the point where I was sick though. Okay. You know, my mom she bugged me a lot. You know, my mom would call me. And if I'd answer her phone, she'd call my friend that was next to me, which is weird because she always kind of figured out who I was with. <laughs> no matter where I was in life, even before I joined the Marine Corps, like I'd be holding my friends, you know, doing dumb stuff. And every time I like, my phone would be dead in my pocket, my cell phone. And every time I met up with a new friend, like, hey, you talk to your mom, she called me, she's looking for you. And I go somewhere else, like, hey, your mom's looking for you. Hey, your mom's looking for you. My mom had, like, all my friends' numbers. I don't know how, but every time I brought, I guess, I brought a new friend home, she was like, let me get your number. Just in case I can't get a hold of Alex. So even in the Marine Corps, she had my friends' numbers and, you know, the guys that I served with. And uh, 
she's uh even to this day you know when you know when i uh she always asks like oh how's so and so she's only met him a handful of times maybe two or three times when she came to visit me but she uh she still remembers them and she asks how, how them and their family are doing so she's always been really really involved in my life yeah and i thought it was strange for other marines where like it'll be like the holidays and like, oh, are you going home for Thanksgiving? They're like, nah, I'm not going home. Like, I haven't been home, like, in two years. And then my back of my head, like, oh, wow, man, what's wrong with you, man? What your parents do to you? You know, I'm like, oh, nothing. It's just, I don't feel like, I don't feel like I need to go home for Christmas. And to me, I thought that was, that was, that was crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, so I just, because I know they wanted to see me. Right. Even though, like, I could go a long period of time without people. Like, I could be by myself for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, alone. Like, in the garage. I'll be in the garage all day for days, probably like a whole weekend working on a project. And I don't feel lonely at all. Um, so uh, being away from home, yeah, I miss people, but I never really got sick from it. Okay. Okay. So you, even with that, you kind of coped with it? It's like, I know I'll see you kind of thing? Like, Yeah. Um, I think the only thing that really, really kind of stinged a little bit is when I had kids mm-hmm. and I had my daughter. And knowing by the time you come back, it's going to be a different person. The baby's yeah. not going to be a baby anymore. Yeah. You know, you're going to miss so many different things. And that's part of the hardest thing I struggled with. Um, not being a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it kind of maybe stems from like my past, my like growing up with my father. And I remember, like, at a very young age, promising myself that I'd always be there for my kids. Right. You know, no matter what, no matter what happens, I'll always be there. And uh, that was kind of hard. Like, even though, like, I was still there after their dad and taking care of them and everything like that, just the fact of me not being there to tuck them in at night or to say happy birthday in person or Merry Christmas and things like that, you know. Um, When they're kind of young it's a little bit easier because they're babies like oh you can't think you could justify it in your head right oh they're not going to remember anything right mm-hmm. like you know we'll make more memories when they're older and make sure i'm home and stuff like that and that's kind of what made my decision to get out because i didn't i wanted to be there quite a bit and also because i kind of felt like I really wanted to find my own financial independence. So it was a kind of super right with my family. And I kind of felt like I can do more for myself and my family if I had a little bit more freedom. Military really ties you down. And there's a lot of things that you can't do. Um, A lot of your liberties are are taken from you where you work, you know, times you work, Mm -hmm. you know, when you go on vacation, you know, like, It it's kind of funny um, when you think about it. Like you you can't even go home on a weekend without saying exactly what you're gonna do, right? Like right. how are you gonna get there? You know, are you gonna fill your car up with gas? You know, are you gonna wear sunblock? Are you gonna drink water? Like those type of things that your unit wants to know. If you're just planning a weekend trip with your family to go to the beach, like up a town or something, and to me that kind of like drove me crazy. Like yeah, I gotta write a paper. And tell them how I'm gonna get to the beach with my family and how am I gonna get back safely. And if I can run into trouble, and it kind of makes sense, like you wanna always make sure everything's fine, you think ahead. But I just thought it was kind of ridiculous, you know. 
Yeah. And I'm sure that's like mentally exhausting too. Like that whole process. I gotta do this just to just to leave or you know? Yeah, and it's kinda of like you don't trust me to take my kids to the beach, but you, you know, you say it's okay for me to look after a twenty million dollar aircraft and make sure it's safe to fly and you know, I have, you know, twenty guys like, you know, in my hands, you know, it's kinda of like I just thought it was silly. Yeah. Like I'm responsible enough for that, but not responsible enough to handle a weekend trip on my own with my family. Right, right. I want to get more into that with you. I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. So AIT, what did you, what's your MOS? Um, I was a 6172, which is a 46 uh, helicopter crew chief. So my job was to maintain and operate uh, and crew a helicopter as well as uh, man the guns. So I was a helicopter door gunner, essentially. Um, so it's kind of a bit of a one of those jobs where we do a little bit of everything involved with a piece of equipment. Like usually, like mechanic, you have a mechanic, right? But that's all I do is maintain. Okay. A crew chief does the maintenance, inspections, and also operates the aircraft. Not pilot, but as far as like helping start the aircraft, crew the aircraft, help navigate the aircraft, and operate all the guns on the aircraft. And also in charge of all the packs. Packs are what we call pa they're the passengers in the back. So in the back of the aircraft, no matter what your rank is, if you're the crew chief, you're you're the top dog. So whatever you say goes. Okay. So if there's a captain back there or a sergeant, sergeant major, you know, if you tell them, hey, sit down or sit over here or get off, they should listen to you. And if they don't, then it's kind of a it's kind of a big deal. When you tell you go, you get back to your unit. And you tell your your command officer. Same thing with the pilots. If I tell the pilot, you know, hey, we need to land the aircraft right now. It looks like we got a really bad hydraulic leak, and he doesn't listen. Like, oh, we'll be all right. You know, if I get back and I tell the CEO, like, hey, I told Captain So and So to put the aircraft down, and he didn't. He'd get in big trouble. So we're definitely the systems experts when it comes to mechanic and mechanics and from aircraft. Okay. And how long for schooling did you have to do for AIT? Um, I think actually my MOS school was, it was several schools. All right. So first three months was boot camp, and then I went to combat training. So that's ground combat training. And then I went to water survival school was for like, uh, I think it was like a month or two, Pensacola, Florida. And then I went to mechanic school in Cherry Point, and that was another like three months. And then I went to flight school in, uh, in Camp Pendleton, California, and that was like seven, eight months. Or so, so I think it was like over a year and a half from the date I started. So I actually got to a unit to do my job. And so any time in between here, were you actually able to come home? Because I'm even trying to recall. Did I see Alex within <laughs> these <Yeah>. years? <laughs> actually, when, when, you're, when you're in a schoolhouse setting, so when you're going through your training, it's actually pretty easy to go home because the schools, okay. they close down for the holidays, right? Mm -hmm. So you get 96 is a lot for Thanksgiving, Christmas. You know, sometimes you'll get put on duty, right? Which is kind of like just keep the Marines busy. Um, you get put on duty, but it's easy to get out of it, right? You could, you know, tell somebody to cover you or pit, pit in for uh, for leave a little bit early. So it's, it's really easy to, to come home when you're going through training. Um, obviously, boot camp um, and um, that combat training is, is kind of hard because you're on a schedule. And if you don't need you know those those training days then you're not gonna go with this nobody goes on leave during those but 
the schoolhouse when you're actually just going through through training to learn your job um there's always a bunch of holidays as a 96s and it's easy to go home and during those times okay and how was it for you coming back home and being with your family was there a lot of excitement there from them and you yeah it kind of is like really early on it does feel really nice because you know a lot of people are are proud of you and what you're doing and and people at least in my situation were pretty quick and to tell you how they felt that they're proud of you and you know and, and what you're doing you really felt like you're you're doing something bigger than just trying to earn a living for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You really feel like, you know, you're a part of something bigger. And I know Marines are kind of a, we're a special breed and we're really, really proud. So like when, especially like boots, like new, rec- like people who just joined the service in the Marine Corps, like super motivated. So I haven't met any uh, young junior Marines that are like, no, I don't really care for this. It's not for me. You know, like especially coming out of boot camp, like everybody's like gun ho and super excited to come home and wear the uniform. Um, it dies out pretty quick after a couple of years. <laughs> guys are like, you know, can't wait to get out. You know, so this sucks. But early on, it's really easy to to feel proud and everybody's giving you a pat on the back and wants to shake your hand and buy you a drink or pay for your meal. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about deployments. Um, how many deployments in your career have you had? Uh, I've only done two deployments. Okay. Yeah, I, I, first deployment was to Iraq. Um, and this is what year you went to Iraq? In two thousand eight. So you were you single, married? Were you? Did you have children at this time? I was. I was single at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, my first appointment, I was single. I just finished training. Actually, the day I graduated, I finished training. I got um, stationed at a at a training squadron, and all I did was train Marines to do the job that I I do. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's kind of a bummer because you don't you join the Marine Corps to you know deploy and do good rest stuff with your friends, but. Uh, so it was a bummer, and I went to go check in, and when I got to uh, Master Sergeant's office, you know, he asked me, do I want to deploy? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, you sure? He's like, you want to go to Iraq? And I was like, yeah. He's like, all right, go pack your shit, go next door, they're leaving. And I was like, oh, snap. And he asked my buddy next to me, and he was like, yeah, I want to go. And we went there and did workups and trained, and then we went off to Iraq. So how long were you there for? Uh, my deployment was only seven months. Okay. Yeah, so, so we're they're, they're a little bit shorter than the army deployments. Mm-hmm. How, talk to us about that experience, because I don't know. It's just like 2008, you know, all the stuff going on. Well, I, at first I was a little nervous, um, be, not not because you know I was like maybe scared to get hurt or anything like that. I was just kind of nervous. I wouldn't do a good job, mm. you know. Um, being such a junior Marine, you know, and having kind of like, I would say kind of an important job, right? Like if I miss something on the aircraft, we go down, like people's lives are in my hands. So I was kind of, I was a little nervous, you know, being, being in charge of, uh, an aircraft and a crew. Um, I shouldn't have been because it took a while for them to let me fly on my own. So I was always with somebody who really knew what they were doing. Okay. 
but I wasn't too worried about that. And, you know, growing up on, I didn't, <laughs> growing up on the South side of Chicago and like seeing a lot of people get shot and, you know, lose their life and, and things like that. I, I was, it was already in my head hmm. from like, you know, I remember like looking at my window and seeing shoot, shootouts and stuff. So I wasn't scared to get shot at because I already been shot at. I wasn't scared to see somebody get shot because I already seen somebody get shot. Mm. So that 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 didn't. I wasn't nervous of getting hurt. I wasn't scared of getting hurt or not coming home because I kind of felt like I could die at home. I could get shot at home. So there's no real difference being in Iraq or South Side of Chicago, really. You know, if anything, I got a you know I got pretty good guns on me when I'm wearing a bulletproof vest, mm. and I got you know the world's finest fighting force on my back. When when I'm on the street, they're in the streets with my friends hanging out. We don't have that. So yeah. I definitely wasn't nervous about getting hurt. So how about some, like, the people you were with, right? Because I know, like, every military branch, you build that support, right? Within your platoon, the people you're with, you build on each other. So did you see during that first deployment some people who weren't used to seeing shootings? Weren't used, you know, because you talk about, like, you were in a neighborhood such as this, right? Like, yeah. uh, this doesn't phase me. I've seen this growing up. But how about people who weren't used to that, right? Yeah, and you know what? After that deployment, I it was a good deployment, too. We didn't lose anybody. Good. We didn't lose any aircraft. We didn't lose anybody. I know the two years prior, uh, or a year and a half prior to that, um, the, the same unit was deployed with the same group of guys that I was in Iraq with and and they lost people mm. you know and i've seen you know and, and some of them got affected pretty bad you know certain things will really you know, you know make them uh flip out you know and some of them guys handle it pretty well you know they'll talk about it and stuff like that and you know they handle it pretty well um which i thought was kind of funny because the guys that i we're called boots, right? So the boots that on that deployment, which was a really good deployment, we didn't lose anybody. Um, nothing really bad happened. We lose an aircraft, but when we came back, they're still affected in such a way. Like I don't know if it was maybe things that they had going going on at home mm -hmm. or what was going on, but I seen some of the guys. You know they. They say they have PTSD for from this or that, and and it was hard for me to understand because it's like, dude, like nothing bad happened to us, you know. Like, you know, we all came home, like, you know, we're, we're all good, but to them, you know, it, it was I guess it was a hard time. Maybe it was just being homesick, and and there's nothing really. We're all different, right? Mm -hmm. Like I said, like I, I could be by myself in my head for a long time. I'm I'm totally okay with being inside my head, but. We're all different, and we all need different things. And in certain situations, people just don't do good. And it doesn't mean that you know you're weak or you're, like I say, like maybe you're crazy or anything like that. You know, just some people are just not cut out for for certain things, and sometimes they have to find out the hard way. I think honestly, yeah, you know. So when you talk about that, you you got you think like it has a lot to do with resiliency, right? When you think about even like trauma 
too, because trauma is pretty complex. And when you think about, well, why was I not affected, but they were, you think back, well, what did they experience in their childhood that maybe these things like triggered off? Because, uh, so I'm learning in school, um, that post-traumatic stress disorder, we're learning so much about it that it's happening, not just to veterans, not just to soldiers, but to people because it's past experiences in childhood, you know, how you experience trauma in childhood you may not have it may not have affected you as bad as you think and then something triggers off in adulthood and you're like whoa wait I remember this I remember getting my ass beat when I was little that's why I'm not like these things that are happening are triggering me you know so and you think about that and just level of resiliency so I had an assignment to do that like evaluates like your resiliency and people were like, what did you get? What did you get? And it's like, well, I said I had pretty high resiliency. I don't see how, cause I sit and cry for anything, but it's like to be able to bounce back from what knocks you right. down. Right. And some people given enough trauma and those things get triggered off that lowers your resiliency. You know, I, I could see that, right? Like if, let's say like if, if a kid is like has abusive parents, right. Whether you know physically or verbally or mentally, mm -hmm. I could see how like having some Marines treat you like a Marine could really trigger that. You know, because yeah. if you don't have thick skin, it really, really gets you. It it, it really would. Mm -hmm. Honestly, for me myself, it took me a little bit of, of a while. I, I kind of like it took me a while coming from. A minority kid on the south side of Chicago, like there's a certain way you speak to people, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a certain way that you allow people to speak to you. And if somebody doesn't speak to you the way you want to be spoken to, you do something about it. Mm -hmm. And it took me a little while to get that through my head that the Marine Corps, this is the culture. This is how some people are gonna speak to you. You know, it doesn't mean anything else than what it is you know it doesn't mean that they they hate me or if i don't say nothing back that i'm a little punk or something like that you know mm -hmm. i ain't gonna let nobody punk me you know ain't nobody gonna talk to me like that you know i, I kind of had like that little chip on my shoulder you know and it kind of affected me in such a way because i when i first got to my unit that i deployed with um some of the guys I knew them from from training, and like I said, they were they're probably maybe a little bit more senior than me by let's say six months. So they've already been in the fleet for about six months. But I know them from training because our training's like you know a year and a half long. Mm -hmm. um, so they already know the other you know a little bit junior guys in the unit, and it was like a house party, and some of the senior Marines, like the corporals and sergeants. We're kind of like beating on the uh like the last corporals and stuff uh pfcs the junior marines mm -hmm. and i've always been good at handling myself you know i wrestled in high school and stuff so they're like wrestling around and you know beating on some of the junior marines and they're like, oh avery come over here you know get down here take your shirt off like you know jump in there fight so-and-so now like now nah, i'm good you know i'm just sitting here drinking my beer my buddy looks over to me my buddy urban he's still one of my best friends to this day and he's like, go ahead, do it, man, do it. And I was like, nah, man, I don't want to mess with these guys. He's like, come on, what are you doing? You're a punk, you're a little bitch. Take your shirt off, come on, you know? So I was like, all right. And, uh, and I whipped his ass. And, and I choked him out. 
And I, I kind of, I kind of probably should have stopped, but I wanted to let them know, like, hey, like, if I really wanted to, uh, I could hurt you, you know? Yeah. And so I did, and it kind of, like, kind of sucked because not, now he knew, like, my seniors, like, my sergeants, my corporals knew that, like, they couldn't want my ass, right? Mm-hmm. So they couldn't threaten me, like, physically with physical violence. Do this, I'll whoop your ass, you know? It's like, oh, really? Like, you can't do that, you know? So me being defiant, having this chip on, on my shoulder, being this kid from, you know, the South side, uh, kind of like hurt my progress as far as the Marine Corps because I wouldn't let somebody talk to me a certain way. And then, you know, they couldn't, I wasn't scared of them or anything because I knew they couldn't whoop my, whoop my ass. Mm-hmm. So they only, they kind of disciplined me the only reason, the only way they can was just paperwork. So I got like non-rec, non-recommended for promotions and stuff like mm-hmm. that because, uh, I guess I had that chip on my shoulder and like probably they probably didn't like me because I wouldn't let them belittle me, so mm-hmm. to speak. And in the military, it, you shouldn't take it personal. You shouldn't take how people talk to you too personal because we're here to do a job, right? And we're not there to be nice to each other. And at the end of the day, you know these guys are gonna have your back and they'll probably give your life for you. Um and it took me a while to understand like that's the culture. That's how we talk to each other. This is how we get things done, right? No nonsense, no sugarcoating. This is how it is, mm-hmm. you know, and this is what I need you to do. And it might not be said in the most nicest of ways, but if you get away, get around how things are said or maybe the, the words that are used and then kind of like just brush it off, have that thick skin, life gets a lot easier. And it took me a little while to get to that point. And I can see with somebody who's, um, somebody who has a background with maybe some physical abuse, and maybe there may be some tender spots for how certain things people say to them or do to them, or maybe threaten them with violence. How it can really trigger some somebody in, in, in a way, uh, yeah. in such a negative way. Yeah. So what did that kind of teach you? Like that whole situation? Yeah, learn how to play the game. Learn what game you're playing and, and play it. Because it's hard to win if you don't know the rules. Yeah. So if you can learn the rules to a game, Go ahead and practice, and anything you practice, you'll get good at, as long as you keep trying. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. I think that's really important for people to hear, because it's true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So talk to us a little bit about that second deployment. How long period of time was from the first deployment to the second? And maybe even what you did in between. Um. All right. My second deployment was uh, a Mew. So I was actually on a Navy ship for uh, seven months. Um, just floating around in the Middle East, waiting for something bad to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the I think it was in 2012 for that deployment. So I came back from Iraq in 2009. Mm-hmm. We were back for uh, like two and a half years or so. And then we went, we did a lot of workups for that one because my unit hasn't been, they weren't, haven't been on a, on, a, on a ship in a very long time ever since like, you know, the, um, the Iraq and Afghan war started. Like Marines are really intertwined with the Navy, right? We were always on ships and going and everything with them. but. You know, things changed um, with Iraq. So 
a lot of unions stopped going onto the ship and just going straight to the sandbox. So it kind of had to like get, learn how to get back to the roots. Like a lot of pilots in my unit never even landed on a ship before. So there was a lot of training. So yeah, the deployment was only seven months, but the workups for that deployment were very long. I spent like months at a time away from my family, um, like in Hawaii, uh, just training how to operate an aircraft from a ship versus being on a flight deck, you know, um, which is huge, way, way different living situations. Like I'd, I'd rather be in Iraq or Afghanistan than be on a ship. It really sucks. I, I take my hat off to the Navy guys. I don't know how they do it because I don't know how long they're like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wait in lines for everything to take a shower, to get food, to use a gym. Like it's, it's horrible. You have like all these guys, you know, packed in this little box trying to live, live there. And I was, I was lucky too, because as a crew chief, I get to leave the ship. Okay. I get in my aircraft and we fly and, you know, we'll go to, you know, Djibouti or fly to some little country in Africa and do a little bit of training, mm -hmm. you know, maybe even spend a night there. But some of the other guys that through an deployment, they're, they're stuck on a ship for seven months. I think not seven months straight, but I think there was a uh, one point in time where we didn't hit land for 110 days. Wow. Yeah. And we were like nonstop doing, you know, uh, air missions. So like there's a few little decks off the side of the aircraft where people could smoke and stuff. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, everybody was just inside the middle of the ship. So you'd like see some guys who were like uh, grunts or, or motor T or something like that. And they're so pale because they never get any sun. Mm. You know, so 110 days without stepping on land or without having a decent amount of exposure outside. So it's just like living in a little cave, a little yeah. stinky, musty, bare, uh, birthing, you know. And I, I, don't, I don't see how people like that <laughs> being in the Navy. You know, I, I'd rather get shot at every once in a while being in Iraq and, and live like that. Yeah. or years and it even like makes you think right how about their mental health because you need vitamin d like you need fresh air you need sun i know like it's probably a lot easier when we're not there on the ship mm -hmm. because when marines on the ship they're like super packed right so those guys probably don't have as many like they could probably go on the flight deck i would say because all our aircraft are not up there operating mm -hmm. um so they could probably go up there and run around you know you know, so even the lines for waiting for food, like the chow hall, you know, they probably, you can eat pretty easily. So it's probably a lot easier when the Marines are not on the ship. But the, but some of those guys, I had a friend of me, a friend of mine that I grew up with, uh, Miguel, he was in the, in, the, in the Navy and he would say like, depending on the shift you're on, like you would never see the sun because like for one, you you could be working, have a be in like in your workstation, and that was like during the day. So when it's time for you to get off work, it's nighttime, mm -hmm. and so guys would go like months without seeing the sun. Mm -hmm. You know, unless it was like after like ten minutes having a smoke break or something. Yeah. So I could definitely uh, see it being easier without the Marines on the on the ship, but depending on your MOS or you know what job you had in the Navy, like a lot of those guys. Uh, just looking at steel walls for months and months at, at a time. Yeah. And a lot of those guys are so happy too. I don't understand. 
Crazy. Again, that resilience, <laughs> that perseverance, just I'm, I'm sure at some point you have to build your mindset around that, right? Yeah. Kind of. And I think like some, like people are just built different. So I think even like, I'm trying to figure out how I want to say it. Like, I know what I need to do. So I'm going to build up here. Kind of like how Robert Peffel talked about, like, I know what I'm going into. I kind of got to get up here, right? I got to frame my mind. So he did that by, like, reading books, you know, doing research and things just to get in that mindset. To So I wonder if they did things to kind of, like, prep and cope, like, what coping skills they use. That's interesting. I might have you reach out to them and ask them, Alex. <laughs> I know a lot of those guys are pretty swole. They spend a lot of time in the gym, their free time, keeping busy. Um distractions is really powerful mm -hmm. you know if you could take your mind off something that sucks you know by you know working out reading books taking some classes just keeping your mind busy yeah i think that helps a lot and it's a lot easier right than trying to monitor your thoughts you know you get some thoughts in here everybody has like crazy thoughts every now and then it doesn't mean that you're crazy you know like i don't think i've met somebody in a service that's like hasn't thought about taking their life at one point or another you know it's not like you're gonna do it or anything it's like wow like you just kind of think of it sometimes like I, I i think everybody's actually thought about it it's going through a hard time it's like man i wish i would just die right now or i should just off myself just end this and then like you have the other voice like nah that's dumb you don't want to do that like you know your parents are going to miss you your friends are going to miss you like this will pass you know but i think it's normal for people to have those thoughts yeah, you know definitely. at least cross your mind just briefly you know we think about dumb stuff all day probably and I think the, the trouble is is when people stop dismissing certain thoughts right away, you know. And if you if you say like if those thoughts are like kind of in your head, negative thoughts, whether it's just like being homesick, oh I'm so sad, I miss my family, what am I doing here? Like I hate this job, I hate the people I'm around me, like I suck at this, you know. People get really down on themselves. And I think unless you distract yourself like whatever it's like playing video games you know working out going to the gym um taking some classes it's really hard to filter out bad thoughts sometimes like it's exhausting mm -hmm. you know because sometimes i i kind of feel i know like we're creatures of habit right mm -hmm. so if a habit starts forming the longer it goes the harder it's the harder it takes to break so sometimes you might not even notice it until it's too late or you have this thought pattern in your head, whether it's like, oh, I'm dumb, or I'm dumb, like, yeah, I'm stupid, why I do that? I'm dumb, stupid, why I do that? Or like, I'm useless. You know, you have these things where you do something and you have this automatic response with this thought that comes in your head. Sometimes it's hard to, to change that. It takes a lot of mental effort to be like, you know what, now I gotta stop saying that I'm not, you know, yeah, I make mistakes, I'm human, but I'm not dumb, I'm not stupid, I'm not useless, you know? Um, sometimes if you could just, find something else to replace you trying to monitor every single thought that comes in your head. I think it's useful to keep some of those thoughts at bay. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of what you said, uh, I definitely agree with. So we learned in class. Um, so a thought or an emotion lasts 90 seconds. It can last longer if you feel that thought. So for instance, like you said, if someone's saying I'm dumb, I'm useless, right? Mm -hmm. That can snowball. If you just tell yourself I'm useless and let that go, that 90 seconds, it's gone. 
But if you keep telling yourself that, your brain stores that and you believe that about yourself. So it's like, if you tell yourself, I'm smart, I'm the greatest thing ever. Like I can do this. I can do whatever I want. Like you really start to believe those things and keep those thoughts for more than 90 seconds, you know, keep those thoughts in there. And, um, yeah, so I, I definitely believe that. And another thing I wanted to kind of touch on was, so you talked a little about, bit about people kind of thinking about suicide. So that's called suicidal ideation, right? Mm-hmm. The thought of suicide, not really acting on it. Right. Um, but just having that thought about it and you are right. It, it happens to many people. You'd be surprised like the happiest person you, you feel like that. Yeah. Because what happens is we, we don't want to feel pain. We just, that pain is uncomfortable, right? right? You don't want to feel bad. You don't want to feel sad. It's uncomfortable. And what you think is, I, I need to rid myself of this uncomfortability. How can I do that? Well, I don't want to be here anymore, you know? But again, 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. If you find a way to let that go through distraction, through the way you think about yourself, things like that, that'll really help kind of, you know, alleviate that thing. And there are some mental illnesses that don't really allow for that. You know, so thank you for bringing that up. Um, so I want to talk to you too. So a little something you said earlier was um, having uh, having family, right? So having a child. So the second deployment you had already had a yeah. child at this point. Yeah. Talk to us about how you coped with being away from your child and missing out on milestones. Because that's hard for any parent. Yeah, you know, well, technology is awesome now, right? Mm-hmm. So on deployment, if you're not a mission... You know, if you're not like away from a big base or, you know, away from the ship, you can video chat, right? Or you can send videos back and forth. So that was, that was really nice. And I think that, that really helped a lot. Um, getting videos of, of my daughter, you know, uh, of my son playing and, and doing little things like that. That, that really helped a lot. Um, you, it's, you kind of sometimes you, it sucks like not being there for their first words like when they start forming sentences but at least you get to see it right Mm -hmm. so technology is really awesome i could really feel for some of the older generation where they didn't have video chat yeah you know you couldn't just call somebody from a satellite phone you know and that was another perk about being air crew whenever we left for mission we have a satellite phone and you know the pilots are like hey you guys want to call home and we pass the phone around and because you have to pay on the ship and there's sometimes there's lines mm-hmm. for us to use the phones and depending on you know how much work you're doing you just don't have time um to call somebody but with that satellite phone and being on being on the ship i mean being on the on the aircraft being able to call your family like oh hey you know i'm, I'm over here and how you guys doing and talk for a few minutes you know when when you're flying out to go do a, do a mission it was, it was pretty nice um, being a crew chief, you know, I get spoiled sometimes like that a little bit. But I think that really helps a lot. You know, yeah. just being able to talk and and see, see them. Um, not physically being there does suck, but I think it will suck a lot more if that if you wouldn't be able to speak to them and see them. Right. You know, like so that made it a lot easier to deal with. Um, the the I miss yous and I love you and. And stuff like that and knowing the just knowing like getting packages is a big thing right so i send you a letter um my mom used to always send me uh some heinie's hot sauce <laughs> you know on my deployments and 
and all the guys loved it. They never had it before. You know, obviously being guys from all around the, the country. Um, they're like, what is this? I was like, we call this ghetto butter. They're like, what ghetto butter? They're like, what do you put it on? I was like, everything, you know? There's guys eating spaghetti with tiny sauce sauce on it. And I was like, oh, we don't put it on that. But it's good. I was like, all right, whatever, man. But yeah, having the support from back home, like people just send you letters, send you little gifts, whether it's, you know, socks or tiny sauce sauce, you know, things like that. That that makes it a lot easier just knowing that somebody else is thinking of you too. Yeah. You know, that, that helps a lot. Yeah. And so your family, your daughter, she's in California at this time, right? Yeah. My, okay. They're in California. Okay. And then you have your family here in Chicago. So how did you try to juggle talking to like everybody? Because I know that that might have been hard for you, right? Did you say like, hey, tell them back in Chicago. Okay, <laughs> I got to go. <laughs> um, Honestly, like the homeboys, I didn't really talk to them that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, my female friends, they're a little bit, females are a little bit more intensive, right? You know, guys are kind of like, ah, I'll see you when you get back, dude. It's like, all right, man. But uh, a lot of my female friends, you know, they'll, you know, send me a letter here and there or, you know, or they'll uh, give my mom a letter or, or tell, oh, tell him to call me when he gets a chance or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always had a lot of female friends, like really close, you know, just, just friends, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, they're my, uh, my niggas. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, they're, they're really cool, man. I, I really don't, I'm really blessed in that way that to have friends that I really consider family like that. And it's a lot easier. Sometimes it's easier to talk to girls about certain things than it is to your guys, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's like emotional things or things you're going on with your girl or your wife, you know, sometimes guys give really bad advice, and especially when it comes to like relationships and stuff to do with the heart, you know. Especially when we were young. Yeah. You know, you don't need no girl, man. Girls, you know, like, yeah, you don't need her. And there's so many girls out there. That's like the first thing that people say, right? You guys go, oh, you know, there's so many fish in this ocean, you know, like, you don't, why, why are you wasting your time on that one? But females have a lot of different, different point of view a lot of mm-hmm. times. And, and it helps to have a big uh, community behind you that you can reach out and talk to different people because. But, you know, you, you have friends that like, if you have money problems, you'll talk to them like, hey, he's good with finance. Like, hey, you know, like, yeah. what do you do with this or that? And they'll tell you, you know, there's other people who, you know, really emotionally smart, mm-hmm. you know, you talk to them. So having a lot of friends and a huge family, depending on what I was going through, you know, um, I have family that is like pastors, right? So if I was having a hard time, I could reach out. Yeah. And if I needed some words of encouragement, you know, or somebody to pray for me, I could reach out to one of my cousins who's a pastor, you know, if I was, you know, having a heart to my mom, you know, she's, she's been through a lot in life and she has a lot of knowledge and I'm really grateful to have a mother like that who, uh, who grew up, you know, with a hard life and, and it's thriving to this day, you know, cause that comes with a lot of, she would have never made it as far as she did now if she wasn't resilient herself. Mm-hmm. So that that really helps a lot, especially with, you know, being married in the service and having that, uh, having kids because it's hard on a marriage. Yeah. Being, being away is really hard. It's, it's hard being in the same house, you know, when you're married, mm-hmm. you know, and then you get all this time apart 
it makes it even harder. You know, and a lot of people, I think that's probably like missing the kids is it sucks, but the spouse thing is, is worse. Like when, if you're arguing with your wife and like you're at home, like you leave, like you get hot, you leave, you come back, you know, they're still there. Right. Mm -hmm. But like the not knowing thing drives guys crazy. So like they're arguing with their wife and may say like they call home wife doesn't reply or doesn't doesn't answer you know like god doesn't talk to her for a week or two like that'll drive guys crazy you don't know what's going on at home you don't know where she's at or she's okay or if she's leaving you or she's leaving the kids and that happens a lot right you're having you, you see guys who come home and they come back to an empty house there's no mm -hmm. kids there mm -hmm. wife is gone so um it's kind of like i think that was probably like one of the hardest things I've been with on deployment is having marital problems and being away and knowing that there's nothing you can do about it. Mm. There's nothing I could do. You know, um, you try calling and if she's not by the phone, right? When you have those spare moments to call home, mm -hmm. then you, the opportunity is gone. You know, so you're just relying on emails and it's hard to communicate, you know, when you're trying to pour your heart out through an email you know um so i think that really i can see i've seen a lot of guys uh hurt a lot because of a heartbreak and heartache because they're having problems with whether it's their girlfriends their wives and stuff like that the kid thing sucks but i think the spouse thing probably hurts a little bit more yeah yeah for, so for yourself how did you cope with that because that's hard um I think I'm, I always try to fix things mm -hmm. and I've always tried to figure out why things happen or why I feel a certain way. Like I'm always trying to figure out a logical way to deal with something. And so if I'm, whenever I was having like a, a marital problem or something like that, I'd grab a book mm -hmm. and I would read and try to find answers. Because whatever we go through in life, like, it's not new. Like, I'm not the first human being to live on this planet. Mm -hmm. and, and I know, like, there's someone somewhere out there who went through something very similar to what I went through. And they put a lot of time and effort trying to figure out how to get through it, how to fix it, or, or, or at least how to make it bearable. So I, I like to read books that, that help me get a good idea of how to fix certain situations. So I, I would work on myself because um, I kind of feel like we all contribute in a certain way, right, to our right. lives. Mm -hmm. I really feel like life is like what 10% is like what happens to you and 90% about what you do about it. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that. And I think if the thoughts you have in your mind and how you, and, and, and your reaction to, to certain things I think matters more than what's actually going around, you know, around you and then what's happening to you. So I would try to make myself stronger in that way, whether it's learning how to deal with a difficult spouse or learning how to be a better husband, a better uh, father. And I was always trying to work on myself to keep myself from having to experience that again. You know, I think 
of losing people, you know, losing loved ones, losing friends, um, and stuff like that. I think losing, uh, like, a, a marriage going through, like, losing someone you love, like, not physically, like, their life, but losing their heart, right? Mm -hmm. I think that that was probably one of the, the harder things I've been through, you know, having not knowing whether you're going to come home to a family because it's not just like when people when, when a lot of people think like oh, okay it's just a woman right but for guys it's like you think of the whole package mm -hmm. you know it's not just your wife you know it's, it's the kids too right and it's all used together and it's a that, it's a big thing and I know like for a lot of the guys and the men in my life like there's nothing they want to do for their, their families and for the thought of that leaving and not you not having that anymore like that's that's probably sometimes worse than than you dying right because mm -hmm. the thing that you care about the most and when it's threatening to be taken away from you like that could really make you hurt and like go crazy and do stupid things and that's when it's the 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 most important time for you to stop back and do nothing, like to stop and do nothing. Because I've seen so many guys try to save, save, uh, like have knee-jerk resp responses. Like you could hear them on the phone yelling, right? Or screaming or, or writing, or, or, you know, writing messages back and forth back home. And it's like, dude, like you're super pissed off right now. Nothing you say right now is going to make anything better. Like, it's better for you to do nothing, maybe give it a day or two, think about it, calm down, and then reply. Because yeah. it, it makes things way, way, way worse when when our emotions are high. Especially like love will make you do some crazy things. Because you stay in that limbic brain. Oh, <laughs> you man. stay in the it's, the emotional brain, right? Bad, like, man, I was so stupid. Like, what did I, what did I do then? You know, so some of my friends, I had a buddy not so long ago. Um, his marriage ended after 20 years. Mm. They were high school sweethearts. And man, he was, I know, I know like exactly how he felt and probably times 10 because that's somebody who spent most of his life with, right? Since he was a teenager. And I, I could just see the, the look in his face and it brought back all the emotion. Like, man, like, I remember how I felt when I was going through that. And uh, I told him like, hey man, when you go home, don't say anything to her. Don't talk about it. Just go home. Just go to bed, man. And talk about it to her tomorrow. Um, he was, uh, he found out his wife was like having an affair for like last year or so mm -hmm. after 20 years of marriage. And he was, man, he was, he was pretty beat up about it. And I told him to do that. And he called me right before he got to the house again. He's like, I'm, I'm not going to go in yet. I'm going to give me a few minutes. And I was like, okay, remember. Don't talk about it. If she tries to talk to you or anything like that, say you don't want to talk about it and we'll talk about it later, you know? Yeah. And then the next day he called me and he was like, man, I'm so glad. Like, I'm so thankful that you gave me that advice. And I didn't say anything to her because, you know, he's like, I, I would have strangled her, man. Mm. He's like, I, I, I would have been some, just some stupid, you know? Yeah. I was like, yeah, man. Like, when, when, when you have those emotions inside, like, you, it's hard to control your physical self, you know? Mm-hmm let alone your mouth, you know? So the best things we do sometimes is nothing. Mm -hmm. Just wait, give yourself some time mm -hmm. before you do anything. 
You could really tap into that like rational brain, right? Yeah. That rational part of your brain that can come up with logical reasons of doing stuff versus being in that limbic brain and just saying what you feel versus thinking about what you say, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you, Alex. I know that's a very vulnerable subject and like something really deep to talk about. So thank you for sharing that. It's much appreciated. And you know, I I didn't want to touch on it and you brought it up. So thank you for doing that though, because I think like that's real life, right? It happens to yeah, every, every day. A lot of people mm -hmm. struggle a lot with that, mm -hmm. you know, and especially with guys. A lot of guys don't talk about how hard it is for them. You know, sometimes, you know, people kind of get looked at as being soft, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you're a softie or a crybaby. And I do that to myself. Like, I, I, I look at some guys, you know, whining and complaining. I'm like, dude, I get a grip, you know? But like you said, you never know somebody else's past or how they grew up or what's a, you know, what wounds they still have that are not healed, you know? You have a wound. You could be a really strong guy, man. You ever had like a, like a, like an infection? It could be something so small, man, but it's really painful and tender, and it could keep you from walking. It could be something so small, and you won't think nothing of it, but the pain is immense. Because on the surface, I had I remember having like this inspection on my leg. I think it was like cellulitis or something. It was just this red little dot, right? But then my legs swelled up. It was really swollen, so it didn't look like much on the outside, but it kept me from walking, you know. And I kind of think like a lot of times emotional wounds are the same way where they kind of seem like it's not that big deal. Like, oh, it's just, you know, it's just a breakup or, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your dad punched you in your face when you were 12. Like, come on, get over it. Right. That was 15 years ago, 20 years ago. But sometimes those type of wounds without, you know, being dealt with properly, um, they'll keep you from doing some of the, the simple things. Mm -hmm. I think if you really want to move forward in life, you really got to analyze yourself and take care of yourself. You get a broken leg, people run to the hospital. You get a broken heart or you, you get some type of emotional damage. People don't, they don't try to fix that. They don't try to heal that. Kind of just like put it on the back burner. Yeah. And I think now, I think it's a big push for mental health. And I think it's a good thing because people ignore it. They go on sad or this really sucked and they kind of just kind of go on in life without actually really processing it fully to the point where they're okay with it like yeah that's happened yeah and it sucked but i know i'm okay they're kind of like just put it in the back of their mind and it come when it comes up they're just you could see it because they'll just break down and i've seen it a couple of times you know especially drinking rings drink a lot and you'll see some guys you know will just be having a good time and a certain little subject comes up and then these guys are bawling their eyes out. It's like, whoa, man, like, you should probably talk to somebody about that. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of things before I get into that, um, what you said is true. So what happens with those emotional wounds, they're not seen by other people even. So it's like, I can't validate that because I don't, I don't know how that feels. Oh, you're just making that up. Oh, throw some dirt on it. You'll be fine. But it's like, just because you can't see how someone feels doesn't make it any less real. Right. You know, so I think that's why doing stuff like this is important to end that stigma. If someone tells you that they feel this way, take it on them because they could be telling you, hey, I feel like killing myself. Oh, man, you'll be fine. Then what happens at one time that they say it and they actually do it? Yeah. Then you're going to say, oh, I wish I would have done something about it. But they told you. 
That's why just meet people with kindness and support people. If they're sharing things with you, you know, be open, even though it's, I get it. Sometimes it's hard because I listen to some people sometimes and I'm like, oh, but I, it's not, it's not my place to sit and judge. They're sharing this with me for a reason. Right. Right. So maybe they just need somebody to hear them. Um, but about the alcohol and things, you see a lot of that because it, your ambitions are lower, right? So you could be a little bit more vulnerable because then you can kind of chalk it up. Why well, I was drunk. I didn't mean that. I right. was drunk. Yeah, I think I can't remember where I got it from, but it was like, I don't remember like exactly what it was, but it was like something like, like alcohol really takes away. Um, like people's ability to like be responsible for certain things. So like it kind of like gets rid of that, that little voice in your head. That's like, okay, maybe you should do this or you shouldn't do that. It like quiets that down a little bit. So people are more willing to, to do things without that little voice on their shoulder saying, Hey, maybe you shouldn't do that. You know, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember thinking to myself, like, man, it makes so much sense because when you drink, like you let your guard down, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's if you're shy and you're trying to talk to a girl, you had a couple of beers, like, oh, you get some courage, right? Like, or head low. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, how you talk to hey, me. <laughs> hey, what's up, girl? You know, or there's some guys, you know, talking trash to you. You had too many work to drink and, you know, otherwise you probably wouldn't try to fight these guys. But if you're drinking, you would, mm -hmm. you know, so definitely. Uh, it's definitely something that really puts your guard down and. I'm, I'm trying to look for the word that I'm, I can't remember what it was, but, but yeah, <laughs> I really wish I had a brain for it. <laughs> I wanted to kind of ask you too, and now that we're on the topic of like, you know, fellow Marines sharing their emotions with you when you guys are drinking and stuff, other than that, like with that, and then other than that, how did you like support? people who came to you and said like hey man i'm really going through it like are you saw that they're really going through and did you kind of check in talk to me about that a little bit the my friends that i had in the marine corps um they were pretty solid dudes um i haven't uh i had one friend that kind of struggled with ptsd after a few bad deployments to Afghanistan. Um, we never actually really talked about how he felt, mm -hmm. but you know, we would talk about his deployment, right? And how things went, certain things that happened and stuff like that. And, but you can see, you know, like he would come over to the house and the kids would jump on the couch next to him and he'd like, you know, jump out and freak out, you know? And I gotta tell the kids like, hey, you know, you, can't can't be jumping on like that and explain to him like you know you just got back and it's gonna take him a little while to you can't just run up and jump on him like you used to you know just give him some time mm -hmm. you know because you you know still spooked and stuff and what helped that friend of mine what worked out kind of great is because I was, he just got back from a deployment a pretty bad one and I was leaving for a deployment and my wife was going to move in with her mother, back in with her mother while I was gone. My wife at the time. And her mother-in-law didn't like my pit bull. I had like a 105-pound blue-nose pit bull. And she had this little tiny chihuahua dog. So she was like, no. Um, my, my buddy was like, well, you know, 
I'll take him back with me to Indiana. He's like, when you get back, you're planning on getting out anyway, going back to Chicago. It's like, you're not far from me. It's a four-hour drive. He's like, you just, you know, drive down to the farm and pick him up. And I was like, all right, cool. He's like, well, let me take him for the weekend or a week and then, you know, see how we are together. And, you know, um, we'll go from there. So I was like, all right. He took the dog for a week or so or a weekend. I can't remember. It was just like a few days. And... He was telling me how he went to a buddy's house and they were drinking. He ended up getting super drunk. And uh, his buddies put him in a room with a dog and he fell asleep on the bed. And every time somebody tried to go in the room and check on him, the dog would like run to the door and, and bark like really crazy. He wouldn't let anybody near him, you know. And uh, he was telling me, man, he's a good dog. You know, he didn't let nobody near me while I was sleeping. You know, he protected me the whole time this this and that and i was thinking to myself like man like all right why don't you keep him for another week you know and he kind of i could see like the way he interacted with the dog and and how he really liked nobody bugged him when he was passed out sleeping you know um because they're scared of this hundred pound pit bull mm-hmm. you know, that's gonna bite him um so i ended up going on an appointment and it worked out with the dog he ended up taking the, the dog back to indiana and when I got back from deployment, I went to go see him to pick up my dog and I see how much better he was doing and, and how, you know, you know, how good they were together. And I, I couldn't bring myself to, to get take my dog back because I kind of feel like he still needed him yeah. more than, than I did. And my kids missed the dog. Like, oh, we're not taking Zeus back. You know, they're kind of bummed about it. But I was like, nah, he needs to stay here with him. You know, he was still at that time, he was still kind of kind of struggling a little bit he was doing a lot better than he was when he first got back mm-hmm. but I think the dog actually helped a lot you know just having sometimes we just need somebody to be there with us you know you gotta say anything mm-hmm. there's, there's somebody next to you you know yeah you think that's what helped him yeah that's a blessing in disguise right like that dog really helped him out oh that's a beautiful story yeah so the dog ended up getting shot but yeah. Wait, wait, what? Yeah, I guess he got like out of the, off the property oh, and got no. in with another bunch of other dogs. And, you know, um, him and like a pack of other dogs like attacked the show pony. And Deuce was like so used to gunfire, was always shooting and stuff at his ranch. So when the property owner came out with a shotgun and started shooting in the air, all the other dogs ran away, but he didn't. So he ended up getting shot. And they had calls, like, hey, man, how's Zeus going? He was like, uh, not so good, man. And I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. So how did he, it was, did he seem like he coped with that? or? Yeah, it was, it was years later. Um, he, he was bummed about it. He, he really liked that dog a lot. Um, but I was, I was bummed, too, because the dog was awesome. But uh, he seemed okay with it by then. By that time, you know, he got married. He had a kid, mm. you know. So he's he was, he was doing way better in life, and he had a lot of other things to to occupy his time. You know, have, having a new you know little boy to raise and and a wife at home to take care of. You know, he uh, he bounced back pretty good. I would say uh, he's back to his old self, honestly. Okay. Do you know if he sought out any other supports? Knowing him, no. Okay. Not that type of guy. And do you know (laughs) any Marines who had, you know, either had a mental illness or had struggles that sought out any supports? Um, 
I know one guy. Uh, I'm not too close with him, but I know he would go see uh, someone, mm-hmm. you know, because he was having a hard time. Um, and we were stationed, like I said, we we're in the same unit together, so we went to all the same places, deployments together. And I, I don't really honestly think it was. Maybe it contributed. I'm not going to say I don't think it was. Um, since we had a pretty good deployment, my unit, like after, uh, I think the last loss they had was like in 2007. Mm-hmm. And we, I joined the unit and with a bunch of other guys in 2008 and did deployments and we never lost anybody. We get shot at and stuff, but nothing, nothing crazy. Nobody ever got hurt. Um, so to me, it was like, it's really hard for me to, to understand where he was coming from, but like, I don't know, I didn't know him before the Marine Corps. Okay. Right. Like I, I, I didn't know, uh, what his life was like or, 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 you know, but I know he was always, especially on social media is talking about how he, he's struggling with it. I'm like, dude, like if we, it was such a good deployment. Like we were good, you know, but the Marine Corps, just being in the Marine Corps itself can be very stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know how to cope with it, or like I said, you gotta see it as a game, right? Sometimes you gotta learn how to play the game and not take things too personal. Um, and some guys, they, they take it really personally. And it, and they, those, are the, those are the guys who are like really like can't wait to get out because everything's just super dumb to them. Everybody's really ignorant. Um, I don't think uh, it's hard for me to, to understand some things that I don't like I, I don't know all the pieces of the puzzle to mm-hmm. but I know he was going through through some stuff and I think it's not just the Marine Corps you know it was probably stuff that he grew up with and mm-hmm. things back home um I have another friend of mine uh that started talking to somebody because he's got like some pretty bad anger issues but he's been my friend his whole life and I, I don't think it's the Marine Corps who did it to him um, him too, he kind of like has some stuff of his childhood and stuff, or his dad and stuff. Um, but I could see like people who had prior things happen to them and then joined the Marine Corps, I could aggravate it. Um, he talked about speaking with somebody. I'm not sure if he has or not, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah. So Alex, do you feel in your opinion that there's these things that are in place that are good for Marines to be able to access when it comes to their mental health? Yeah, I think, I think having resources, you know, for people going somewhere to talk to or just for somebody, like a bit of information to, to let them know, like, you know, it's human to feel this way or, you know, what helps me a lot is learning why. Okay, maybe why I feel some certain type of way. You know, like I said, I, I like to learn how things work. Mm-hmm. So learning how our brains work or how we process things or sometimes like some defense mechanisms that you know, go on within our brains to protect ourselves for certain things. Mm-hmm. You know, learning that, I think just knowing that in itself is a big help for certain people. You know, and it was a big help for me, you know, feeling like, why do I, why am I so bummed about this? And then looking at like, oh, okay, like, well, this is actually really important for human survival and processing things like this, like it's really important. So that's probably why I feel this way, mm-hmm. you know? I forgot where I was going with this. Supports. Oh yeah. Supports. Marine supports. 
Yeah, so having supports for people with information of uh, for them to rely on to mm -hmm. maybe learn why or what they're going through and and have it be like not such of a like easy access and, and not kind of I don't think we should be looked look down on you know a lot of guys kind of feel like they're they're pretty soft mm -hmm. you know um it happens a lot like you'll see a lot of marines um kind of talk trash about somebody else mm -hmm. because maybe they're kind of having a hard time yeah. you know and we only see them from this point of view right like what we can see we don't see all the other aspects of their life so it's kind of a trick move to judge somebody in that way but I know we do it a lot and a lot of guys they kind of might not want to be seen in that way as being weak or soft or not being able to handle certain things so they keep it to keep it to themselves but I'm thinking like if there's a lot more resources out there maybe more people would use them and then like it wouldn't be such a you know embarrassing thing that, to use because it's like you know well, I'm just you just go there and talk to somebody about certain you know certain things and whether it's uh you know even like a chaplain I remember talking to a chaplain uh, I think that kind of helped and the chaplain uh pointed me in a direction to actually do some counseling it was marriage counseling but I think that really helped a lot you know so I think more resources for active duty and like veterans too because you got a, like a wound that that you got and it's not healed doesn't matter if you're out of the service or not then it's, it's still there mm -hmm. you just have to deal with it and certain things you know they're not uh certain things that probably might never go away and it might not be like like certain things that like we're all different right our brains work differently you know i know some people have uh are more susceptible for to have mental illnesses right maybe it'd be like a chemical imbalance or something there's not yeah i kind of feel like what you can, can some things that you go through um can definitely cause certain things make certain you make you feel a certain way or bring up ptsd or something like that but sometimes it's kind of like it's just your brain it's kind of like maybe just a chemical imbalance and you know you gotta deal with it and i think a lot of times um there's a lot of guys that are like that in the service mm -hmm. you know it's not that they're weak or anything like that it's just like dude you just you might need some meds you know yeah. there's maybe nothing wrong with you you know there's, you haven't been through much but you know maybe it's just something up there just a little off you know chemical imbalance and you might just need some additional help rather than it's not your thoughts or it's not you it's not you know the things that you've been through sometimes it's it's something else yeah yeah, you hit the nail on the head there because a lot of people don't realize like things like depression, that's chemical imbalance. So until you balance out those chemicals through medicine, you know, you can do therapy to try to help you change the way like cognitive behavioral therapy to kind of change the way you think about things. But ultimately that medication is going to give you the serotonin your brain needs that it can't mm -hmm. produce because those neurotransmitters are just not working. You know, so having that understanding of that, like you think about um, military personnel who have traumatic brain injuries, like that traumatic brain injury can cause those chemicals, those neurotransmitters to kind of shift and not work as well. So your brain's not producing those good chemicals. Right. And then you're sitting there like, 
wait, what's going on? Why am I depressed? It's not something you did. It's that brain injury that may have caused that to happen. You know, so when you think about things like that, um, and then, so in your opinion, Alex, what stigmas do you think still exist in the military, just as a whole, not even just the Marines, just in the military when it comes to mental health? Um, I think a bad stigma is like people who are just, uh, that want attention, right? Or just want to get out, mm. you know, I think, I think that's a, a really bad stigma of like some militaries, people thinking like they're, I want to say like, oh, you're faking because, you know, you just want attention or something like that. Mm -hmm. Or they're, you kind of feel like maybe, it, it kind of sucks because I know there's a lot of people out there, especially with social media. And you go out like, like if you look on social media, TikTok, Snapchat and all that stuff, you always see all these kids, right? And haven't really been through much in life, but like it kind of almost seems like it's the cool thing to be depressed or have some type of mental illness or something like that. And I know like a lot of people do have certain problems, right? But I think like my good example is, is my daughter, right? Um, she ended up going to counseling and the the therapist said like one of the worst things you can do for young children is to let them have access to TikTok and stuff like that you know and she was asking oh what are you looking at and I, yeah, like looked at her TikTok and all the stuff she was looking at people she was following was like some sad stuff it was like all depressing things you know it's like if you if you're all day looking at a screen listening to everybody's sob stories like that's gonna make you sad yourself you know and make you think you you have something you know, and I think, especially with a lot of kids, you know, there's a big difference between feeling sad and being depressed. Like, if you're sad, like, it, it'll, it'll pass. Like, depression is different. Like, that, that doesn't go anywhere. It's like, no matter what you do, like, it's going to be there. You might have little times where you feel better than others. But I think a lot of people um, mistake having the blues because everybody gets sad versus being really depressed. And I think having like learning having some resources out there for people to learn the difference and and it kind of sucks that especially like the like the yellow young like i said like my daughter um i kind of feel like it's it was like started being cool to to share your pain you know like your suffering and and stuff like that like but in, in a sense where it's not healthy because like, they're not actually sharing what's wrong with them. They're just kind of sharing because everybody else is sharing. So they're almost like faking or making things up, you know, mm -hmm. or things that are not real. Um, and I think that's probably like one of the biggest stigmas is like people, other Marines looking at other Marines thinking like, oh, they're just begging for attention mm -hmm. or they're just, you know, trying to, you know, I guess that's, that's that's the word begging for attention or or faking or trying like oh boo hoo look at me mm -hmm. and there is a few people that are out there like that right like just want some attention or or want to get out of the military or figure out an excuse to why they're not performing at a certain level people would use that a lot too and I think that's that's pretty negative because I think we should take everybody's claim seriously right at least they get right. to it um, but 
I think that's probably one of the, the biggest stigmas. Yeah. So how, how do you believe that we can help end those stigmas? Especially that one, because that's a big one, right? Like, yeah, like, I, I don't, I don't know. And I, I truly believe like we, we can't, we can't really, best thing we can do to make everything better for everyone else is to work on ourselves. And, you know, I, I have this conversation with some of my friends and they're like, you know, you got to make a difference in the world and stuff like that. It's like, I really truly believe the biggest difference you can make is, is you. Cause you don't need, you, you can't, we can't control, you know, what's on in the media. We can't control what's on, in other people's minds. Mm-hmm. Right. But we can control what's in our minds and how we carry ourselves. Right. And how we live. And I think that's the biggest example that we can show our friends and our family. And if you have a friend and you talk to them and you share like, you know, oh, this is what I do. It's how I deal with things or, or certain things like that. You know, I think that's the biggest thing we can do to help everybody else around us. And, you know, if you help one or two people, you know, because, you know, you're a light in their life, you know, um, you've been through something and you shared uh, how you conquered it. I think that could be the biggest inspiration to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So I think the best thing we can do is us, like you, yourself, you know, learn, get strong, build yourself up, you know, physically, mentally, you know, uh, spiritually, whatever you got to do to try to be that best version of yourself. And no matter what, like really have that faith, like, you know what, tomorrow's going to be better. I can get through this. There's nothing I can't handle. Yeah, it sucks today, but I have faith that tomorrow will be better. Or if not, next month. If not, the year after that, you know. But really believing in yourself mm-hmm. and, and trying to live with that. Cause I, I believe, like, there's nothing that we can't do, right? I think we're only limited by time. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, we're only here for a short period of time on this earth. And it doesn't matter what your talents are. Like, if you practice something, you'll get better at it. If you try to, you know, you might not be the strongest person in the world, but you start hitting the gym three days a day, uh, three days a week, you know, mm-hmm. it's going to be a big difference at the end of the year. Yeah. And the same thing with, with your, your mental health. You start working on that little mm-hmm. by little, you'll build yourself up and nothing can shake you, you know. Then there's certain things that like, you know, uh, people have physical disabilities, right? Mm-hmm. And there's other people who have mental disabilities. So you have that factor in there. But even then, you look at the Special Olympics, right? And you're like, oh, these people are Special Olympics, right? They're disabled. Like, they kick my ass any day of the week, you know? Yeah. Because even though they have a disability, they're so strong. They're so fast, you know? So I don't, I think if we could all do that to work on ourselves, to make ourselves the best versions of ourselves, that we'll start to help everybody else around us and then influence everybody else around us. Um yeah thank you for that alex that's good and it's true we need to pour into ourselves and make sure we're good you know so we can function and be happy uh one last question alex what do you do for self-care how do you take care of yourself (laughs) because you're a busy man man. i don't do a lot of self-care nowadays but yeah i um i like to work out i work out a lot and 
like I said, I, I like to read books that teach me about my brain and how I work and our thoughts work. Like I really like psychology a lot and and figuring out why people do what they do is very interesting to me. And you know, I tend to be a little philosophical. Uh, I, I like philosophy and I think just having a, a little bit of of uh, a belief system helps a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and practicing that every day. So pick something that's really that you feel is important to you or how you should live, like some set of principles that you to live by, right? Mm-hmm. And then every day just try to work towards being like that, live by those principles or work towards being a certain person. I think we all focus on trying to be uh, accomplished goals, right? Like whether it's it's within work or school, you know, we, we want to get earn this amount of money or we want to obtain this degree or we want to, you know, get things, you know, but we don't tend to really focus on who we are as a person, you know, what we're yeah. becoming. And I think if we could focus on more on the person you want to be, you know, rather than what you, you know, what you want to do for a living, mm-hmm. I think that would help a lot. So that's what helps me. I think of the, the ideal person, man, am I like the perfect person, right? Who is that guy? And okay, what can I do today to help me bring a little bit closer to that guy? And nobody's ever going to be perfect, right? And that, that, that vision is going to be different from everybody else. Mm-hmm. Everybody's, you know, has their own things that what, what they think is what's important. But I think if we focus on becoming that person that we want to be, we'll be a lot happier with ourselves. Yeah. You know, and it, the money wouldn't matter. You know, like a lot of my, some of my friends and my family, like, oh, why do you work so hard? Like, you know, money's not everything. And it's like, I'm not really chasing the money. You know, uh, I'm trying to chase, I'm, I want to be a person that's hardworking, right? Mm-hmm. That goes after something they, they want, you know, that has the courage and the fortitude and the self-discipline to, to be that. And I think like, if I could know that I tried my very best to achieve something, even if I quite didn't make the mark, but I know I gave it everything my all, I think I'd feel very confident in myself, Yeah. you know? And I think for a lot of people, I think a lot of the negative emotions come from when we know we're not being everything that we could be. Mm-hmm. like we're not the being the best version of ourselves like we're capable of more you know yeah. but if you even if you play a sport right and you gave it your all you know sometimes you don't win but you know you 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 put out and mm-hmm. just that alone is really you know it's really self-gratifying yeah you know i think that's part of one thing about like uh the military is really good like uh like I, I tried out for like recon. Um, when I was going through recon training, a, a lot of guys, uh, even though like they didn't quite make it as far as times going to certain events, but they know they they put out. They tried their very best. They uh, they did a lot better than the guys who who kind of we want to say uh kind of gave up 
you know mm-hmm. they gave up and they're just like oh i just quit you know i think that haunts a lot of guys more that quitting than the guy who gave it everything he, he had and, and still didn't quite make it because yeah. you know you really really tried you know it's yeah. easier to sleep with yourself at night so i think learning to to learn to be that best version of ourselves and really learn how to put out and and it's different from everybody you know maybe it's some people use like physical you know stress themselves physically mm-hmm. some academically you know it's really pushed their, their envelope in certain ways but i think focusing on the type of person that achieves those goals rather than focusing on the goal itself think that's really good thank you for sharing all of that I think you know a lot of the things that you shared today your vulnerability you know being able to just sit with you and share thank you for allowing me to share space with you and just talk about these things because I think it's important and it's your personal experience and how that can actually like really inspire someone you know so thank you Alex I appreciate it give us give us that plug one more time for you business Any man near me. Where do we find you? ChicagoHandymanNearMe.com. All right. All right, Alex. Thank you again for all the information you shared and your experience. And thank you for your service. You're welcome. <laughs> I never know how to answer that question. I know. Randall right? tells me the same thing. He, said. <laughs> he tells me the same thing. He's like, I always feel awkward when people say uh, that. He's just like, uh, <laughs> you're welcome. all right guys that does it for another episode of mind if we chat make sure you have i can't talk anymore make sure you head over to instagram and facebook and like and follow at mind if we chat all right guys i will see you in the next episode with air force veteran victor molina all right guys see you in the next one I am not a mental health professional. I am an individual who is passionate about mental health and topics related to mental health. Research has been done on these topics and I am sharing my own personal experience. All conversation and information exchange are intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Any information shared should not be used as medical advice or to self-diagnose. If you believe you are experiencing an emergency, please talk to your primary physician or call 911. Thank you.